France is in shock, still coming to grips with the deaths of their countrymen. We stand with them and we pray for them in this time of national mourning. But our outrage must turn into action and resolve. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. National security is a fundamental right. We need a president who's strong and tough and tested. My presidency will never look like a lawless imperial presidency like the one we have right now. I'm David First. Later on the show, we're going to be joined by WNYC's Andrea Bernstein with an update on the Bridgegate legal filings. But we start with Paris. Expressions of shock and an outpouring of grief and sympathy quickly morphed into rage and blame among presidential contenders this week. And as he has positioned himself as the law and order national security candidate, Governor Christie had plenty to say about the attacks in Paris. National security is a fundamental right that the American president must understand is his first and most important priority. Notably, on the Hugh Hewitt radio show, he completed a flip-flop on accepting refugees from Syria. Two months ago, he talked about America being a compassionate country that should play its role and take in refugees. Now? I would not permit them in. Uh, What if they were orphans under the age of five? You know, Hugh, we could come up with 18 different scenarios. The fact is that we need for appropriate vetting, and I don't think orphans under five um, are being, you know, should be admitted into the United States at this point. But, you know, they have no family here. Um, how are we going to care for these folks? The fact is, you can come up with a number of different scenarios, Hugh, but in the end, I don't trust this administration to effectively vet the people that they're asking us to take in. We need to put the safety and security of the American people first. Here now to talk about the governor's hardening position on refugees and his strategy moving forward is Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, and Tom Moran, editorial page editor for The Star-Ledger. Welcome back. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, David. Tom, in the frenzy to uh, kind of out-hawk the other GOP candidates after Paris, uh, where does Christie fall in the pack? Well, on the substance of it, he's right where most of them are, which is bar all the refugees from entering the country because it could present a danger. He hasn't gone so far as some to suggest a religious test, as Ted Cruz has. But on the rhetoric, I think he has distinguished himself with that comment about the not even the orphans come in. And I don't know why he would want to do that because it sounded mean, especially when he earlier had expressed great sympathy for that boy that died on the Turkish beach who was not an orphan but was a a small boy, and I think people associate that. Because in some ways I think people will react to this and say, hey, wait a minute, I want to let in the orphans. So it, it opens the discussion as to who gets in and who doesn't among the refugees. So it sort of defeats his purpose if he's saying, None at all, like the other candidates. You look at John, somebody like John Kasich, who's very, you know, has been moderate and reasonable and has called some of the other candidates crazy. And he's taking just as hard a line, but he doesn't sound quite as mean. So I don't know what Chrissy's trying to do with this. Maybe get attention. Matt, does this position, no refugees, not even orphaned toddlers, carry any political risk? Could, could this make him unelectable in a general? I think it is uh, deeply problematic in a, in a general. Uh, however, right now, who's going to call him out on it? 
the environment that we're in and the state of the Republican Party, you can say extremely hawkish things and it's okay because nobody's going to, I mean, well, who on that uh, Republican debate stage is going to say, you know, that wasn't, that's too harsh. You're, you got to, you know, be a little bit easier on the, uh, on the Syrians. Nobody's going to say that. So he can take it as far as he wants and no one will call him out on it. I was really struck by the comments by, uh, about the orphan. Uh, I think many of us were. It just does not necessarily seem something he would normally say. It was interesting. He went further in that regard than the rest of the field. He did not go as far as Donald Trump in terms of closing mosques. Trump said that's something we should look into. But then he makes this comment about the orphans. And then the other thing, he had this speech on Saturday right after the attacks, uh, which was extremely hawkish. He began by talking about his experience in September 11th. For me, being seven years as the U.S. attorney in New Jersey, immediately after September 11th, Terrorism is not theoretical. It's not something that I discuss in the basement of the Capitol in a subcommittee meeting. I went to the funerals. I saw the carnage. And then he talked about the need to lead on the world stage. And then he, he said something that I found so strikingly nativist. I want to drive this government again in the American interest, not in the interest of the elites that tried to make us a global village. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, we are part of a global village. And I think comments like that with an increasingly diverse electorate in the general population seem like he's just doing whatever he can to win the primary and sacrificing himself at the, on the, at the altars of uh, Republican orthodoxy for the primary. And if he were to get through the primary and get the nomination, seems like he'd be in severe trouble in the general by saying things like this. Well, he might not care so much about the general election if at this point in the race he's concluding his most important task is to improve his standing among Republicans for the future. If he's looking at the polls and saying, maybe not this time, but I'll try in four years and I've got to short my position, I don't know. But he has always, I think, had the capacity to play uh, in the event of some major terrorist attack. A lot of people said he could play the role of a Rudy Giuliani. He's an effective communicator. He's a tough guy. He's a former prosecutor. That he could see his popularity boom if there is a terrorist attack. And that speech of Florida was extremely hawkish and extremely well received. These guys are all pounding their chest as hard as they can, and Christie's probably doing it a little more effectively. I understand that my sacred obligation as president will be protecting the American interest, because if we don't care for ourselves, no one else will. And, you know, he does have more experience dealing with terrorism than anybody else but Hillary Clinton, who is running for president. I mean, he did prosecute uh, terrorism cases when he was uh, U.S. attorney. Um, he did come in months after uh, the planes hit the towers to a U.S. attorney's office that was investigating 9-11. I mean, the, the hijackers were uh, living in New Jersey before they made their attacks. So he does have credibility on the issue because of that. Now, if you dig a little closer into his record, you see that the two major terrorism cases that he prosecuted had one commonality, and that was that he went after guys who were not necessarily close 
to committing an attack because they didn't have any weapons. And then the federally paid informants were the ones that ended up delivering weapons to them, which then led to the prosecutions. You know, you could quibble with his approach to terrorism, but you can quibble with the fact that he does have experience in this regard. Just to get at his qualifications on, on terrorism, dealing with terrorism, he has no experience in foreign policy, and those cases don't give him any clue as to what to do in Syria. And when you combine the no experience with the extreme hawkishness, I think that's going to scare a lot of people. I mean, number two, when you look at this individual issue of refugees, the last thing a terrorist would want to, the last track you would want to take to get into America is to go through the refugee process, which has exhaustive screening that lasts uh, between a year and two years usually. You go through checks with FBI, with Department of Homeland Security, with the State Department. You're first vetted by the UN over there before you're sent here. You have to have a sponsoring agency. Why would a terrorist go through all that when he could probably, you know, go to Canada and walk across the border or come here on a visa? So the the fun, the core argument he's making and all of them are making, which is that this opens the door to a jihadi to enter the United States, is bunk. And I think it will be exposed as bunk, even if he doesn't get pushback from fellow Republicans. He's going to get pushback from the larger uh, body of reaction in America, I think. The way he answers this question about uh, accepting uh, refugees from Syria. I don't trust this administration to effectively vet the people that they're asking us to take in. This is another answer where Christie explains his answer by saying he doesn't trust Obama to handle things properly as his reason. You know, he didn't want to back a trade deal because he says he doesn't trust Obama to negotiate. Now he says he won't let refugees in because he doesn't trust Obama to vet those coming in properly, like he's a bouncer at the gate or something. Would have been interesting if Hugh Hewitt had asked him the follow-up, say, okay, when a Republican takes over, would you allow Syrian refugees in then? Because that strikes me as a little phony. It's an easy out. He also, in that interview, praised uh, the people he worked with at the Justice Department uh, for knowing how to keep America safe when he was U.S. attorney. And now he's saying he's not trusting Obama to keep America safe. But he's really talking about the same bureaucrats in the Justice Department. I mean, have, have people really changed? Uh, has the uh, Have our policies on vetting refugees changed? It seems to me he's not backed up his point with specifics yet. So two months ago, when he favored admitting refugees, the Obama administration was capable of screening, and now two months later, they're not. The only thing that changed there is this attack and the politics. He sees the world as he likes to see it, as a fantasy. I see the world as it really is, and it's time to have a president who sees the world as it really is, not how he wishes it would be. The governor sent a letter to the president saying he will no longer accept refugees in New Jersey. Can he do that? That is a question. I've seen that governors really don't have the the power to do such a thing. But he says he is directing his Department of Human Services not to participate in the resettlement of any Syrian refugees in the state of New Jersey and requesting that all non-governmental organizations assisting with the resettlement of refugees notify the Office of Homeland Security in New Jersey of their placements. Well, that right there indicates that he does not have the power to stop it. He can say to his state agencies, don't cooperate, but I don't think he can stop the resettlement. Lawrence Tribe, professor at Harvard, was just uh, on the news saying, no, this is a classic federal issue, not a state one. So if the state departments don't cooperate with the federal effort, I guess that might leave these refugees without some services 
but the sponsor organizations who uh, they have to have in order to settle as a refugee, you have to have a sponsor organization, you know, a church group or an immigrant advocate group. They're not likely to listen to Christie about um, how to treat these families. They're, they seem most of them are sort of committed advocates for these families. And Matt, what about the refugees that are already in New Jersey? It's a great question. Uh, we have to find out if Christie wants them to leave. If, is he going to kick them out? Can he kick them out? He wants the uh, State Department of Homeland Security to be notified about the resettlement of refugees. Does that mean he will want surveillance of their apartments and of their children at school? I don't know. Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Matt Katz covers uh, Governor Christie for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks again. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. Bridgegate was back in the news last week. The lawyers for former Christie staffer Bridget Ann Kelly and former Port Authority Deputy Executive Director Bill Baroni filed papers in federal court, and we learned a few new tidbits from these defense motions. Here with fresh eye strain from reading the filings is WNYC's senior editor for politics and policy, Andrea Bernstein. Welcome back. Thanks, David. So what did we learn last week? These defense motions say Christie's legal team is hiding thousands of documents related to the Bridgegate investigation, not exactly information that would help bolster Christie's harsh criticism of the Hillary Clinton email controversy. What are the defendants after? What are they arguing for? It's complicated here because the governor is not a defendant and he's not actually a party to this. Um, But the federal prosecutors obtained from the governor's legal team, documents uh, and emails from the governor's office, and some of the emails that they obtained were redacted. And Governor Christie's lawyer claimed that in some cases this was media strategy, in some cases this was press strategy. Well, the defense team is arguing those are not legal reasons to not turn over documents that could be germane to the defense. They said that there could be information uh, that would exculpate their clients, Bridget Ann Kelly, the former deputy chief of staff, and Bill Baroni, the former deputy director of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Usually the government says it's withholding documents for reasons that are allowed under law, personal privacy or attorney-client privilege. But in this case, the reasons given by the law firm representing Christie Gibson Dunn are, as you say, campaign strategy and press strategy. Will anyone view those as acceptable reasons for withholding thousands of potentially relevant documents in a legal case? Well, it's unclear. And, you know, we haven't seen the response motions to this. There will be a legal ruling by the judge in this case as to whether those documents are relevant and and should be turned over. But I will say that this has been a consistent legal strategy by Governor Chris Christie and his legal team, Randy Mastro, even before Bridgegate. What I'm referring to here is that Randy Mastro was the lawyer for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Yes, you heard that right. He was their lawyer when AAA sued the Port Authority regarding the toll increases on the Hudson River crossings, which we later learned were the product of these same individuals, David Wildstein, Bill Baroni, and the former chair, uh, David Sampson, all Governor Christie's appointees. In any event, what AAA was seeking to obtain were emails between the governor and the top Port Authority officials. 
And Randy Mastro, as their attorney, rebuffed them and said, you can't have this. This is not germane. Well, in that case, they did not ultimately turn those documents over. Likewise, Governor Chris Christie has had a consistent strategy of releasing not that much information. WNYC has had to go to court to try to get documents uh, that uh, most other governors release just as a matter of course. For example, how much time they spend out of town, who they're visiting with, uh, and what the costs associated are with that. Their strategy in general has been give as little as possible as we can, and they have largely been successful or in some cases been successful in defending that in the courts. These filings reveal that uh, Christie testified before a federal grand jury regarding Bridgegate. Was that surprising to you? Well, this is according to the defense attorney's brief. Uh, Governor Chris Christie's attorneys and Governor Chris Christie have said that they have cooperated with the investigation. Exactly what form that took, we don't know. But what was more interesting to me was what Governor Chris Christie says he discussed. So... Let's remember that what's at issue in Bridgegate is whether Governor Christie's top appointees closed the George Washington Bridge for political retribution. To punish the mayor of Fort Lee for supposedly not endorsing him during his re-election bid. And Governor Chris Christie has consistently painted this as the action of rogue employees, and he didn't know anything about it. But in another case, and with a different mayor, according to these documents, what Governor Christie said was that I was the one who made the decision. And what we're talking about is the mayor of Jersey City, Steve Fulop. Now, Jersey City is a much bigger, more important town in some ways than Fort Lee. Uh, So you could say that's why Governor Chris Christie was paying attention. But what we know is that when Fulop said, I will not be endorsing Governor Chris Christie for re-election, the Port Authority and members of Christie's cabinet canceled meetings with Mayor Fulop. Christie, we learn from these new documents, has said, yeah, that was my decision. But then he said it wasn't for political retribution. It was for other reasons involving that he thought it would be offensive to Senator Steve Sweeney, who was a Democratic leader that he was trying to broker some kind of peace with during his reelection campaign. Isn't it surprising to hear that the governor says, at least according to these filings, the governor says he was involved in that decision? And doesn't that suggest a level of uh, management in his relationships with mayors that he previously said he wasn't involved in? Well, that's the argument that the defendants are trying to make, that Governor Chris Christie was involved in that one. Why wouldn't he have been involved with this one, uh, which was obviously closing down a bridge much more consequential than canceling some meetings. And hasn't he in the past said, oh, I I didn't really remember those meetings. I don't really know what happened to those meetings. Exactly. Exactly. That's what he said in his marathon press conference, which, by the way, on the campaign trail, Governor Chris Christie frequently points to that press conference as the paragon of candor of saying, look, I wasn't afraid when I found out about this to come and answer all these questions. But what the defendants are arguing now is, well, look, he said he didn't remember anything about the Steve Fulop meeting. How can that be when uh, we asked him specifically about it? Not only did he actually recall it, uh, but he recalled it in a certain level of detail that seems unlikely you would have forgotten on a date closer to the event. Pulling back from the details for a moment, what's next? What do these filings tell us about uh, the strategy for Baroni and Kelly's defense teams and about possible future trouble for the governor or his staff? 
Well, the timeline of the trial is very favorable for Governor Chris Christie right now because it's now April. Uh, Remember that they had originally set a trial date of now, essentially November, so that would have been in the thick and the heat of the primary. Uh, And even if no additional information about Governor Christie or his role were to come out, it still is not a helpful thing to have that high in the news headlines as he is heading into Iowa, New Hampshire, especially when there are so many other choices that Republicans can make. So that is helpful to Governor Christie. uh, But we just don't know. I mean, the defense attorneys released documents based on a filing of 1.7 million documents. We don't know what's in those documents. We don't know what else they say. Um, We do know that the defense is going to get to read through them. There's an awful lot of information yet to come out. I mean, to give you an example, we've probably read through 15,000 pages of documents that have been released. Well, they're talking about 1.7 million. So there's a whole lot of information yet to come out. These documents from the Port Authority keep pulling you back in. And I think this is one of the problems for Governor Christie. He'd like to go on and run for president and not have to think about this. And here's the constant drip, drip, drip of here's another thing and here's another thing and here's another thing. Now, I should say that Governor Christie has very clearly called this defense attorney baloney. And let's not forget here that somebody has been convicted of a crime. Two other people have been charged with serious crimes. So they certainly have a motive for making everybody else look bad and thereby themselves look innocent. WNYC Senior Editor for Politics and Policy, Andrea Bernstein. Thanks again. Thanks. Always a pleasure to be on the podcast. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christie Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. Andrea Bernstein at Andrea WNYC. Or Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. We finish today with more from the governor in Florida this weekend, speaking once again about himself. I've been through the fire of the critics in my state and outside my state who believe that I'm too blunt and too outspoken and too direct. Well, let me tell you what the world needs right now. A blunt, outspoken and direct president of the United States who will lead the world again. (laughs) 